All right. Some of you looked ahead at your notes this morning and said, oh, no, he has eight points on there. Well, some of you I've already seen snacking, so you brought your lunch, and uh, you're just ready to go. No, hopefully we'll let you get home so you can have some lunch. Maybe there's some hamburgers going to be grilled at your house or something uh, eaten. Maybe there's going to be a Domino's pizza scheduled to arrive at 12.15. I don't know what it is, but uh, I hope that maybe, men, you can do a little better than that. But, you know, if that's your thing, whatever. Let's turn to Acts chapter 10 this morning. Oh, man, the last couple of weeks I've enjoyed sitting and listening, but I've also been itching to be back up here and get to preach to you from the book of Acts. And uh, we are at a very important turning point here in this book. Our theme this year is forward. And I really see that word being carried out or the idea of that being carried out through the entire book of Acts. As God was doing His work to propel the gospel forward, to send the church forward, to fulfill His plan to reach the world with the gospel. And that ought to get us excited. Because really, if you think about it, this is the history of some of the things that God did to bring us to where we are today so that we could have the gospel today. I enjoy history. I enjoy studying the history of our country. I'm thankful for the sacrifice that many men and women have given over the years so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. When you go back and you study your history, you're better able to appreciate the freedoms that you have today. And one of the concerns we see in our nation today is we take history out of things. We ignore our history. What is the saying? Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? But I want you to take some of our own history as a nation, set it aside this morning, because we're focusing this morning on the history of what God was doing to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And as a Gentile this morning, this gets me excited, gets me encouraged, and I think it should encourage you as well. Now, this may just be the downside of having not preached in Sunday morning for the last two weeks, but that may be why you're getting eight points this morning. I don't know. They're going to be quick points, but it's going to take a little bit for me to get to the first one. So there's a long introduction and then eight fast points, and then we're done. But I think it's important that I, at least it's my desire to lay this out for you, this story, because really it spans all of chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11. I'm going to leave the part of the chapter 11 stuff till next week, but I'm not going to read all of chapter 10, but I'm going to try to tell you the story so you can picture what's going on here. Really, the, the message this morning, the text for our message this morning is found towards the end of chapter 10. So let's start together as we think about what is going on now in Acts chapter 10. It starts off telling us about this man who lived in Caesarea, and his name was Cornelius. The Bible tells us Cornelius was a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. So there's a lot in this verse. To become a Roman centurion meant you were in charge of a hundred of your own soldiers that you had direct command over. But he was part of a larger group, probably we would also know it as a legion, called a band here, which would have been made up of six well, so you would have had a centurion, then they would have been part of a group of six other centurions that made up, each had a hundred guys, and then those guys would be part of a larger group that would make up a legion. You didn't just become a centurion just because you were born into a good family or you had a lot of money. This was a position that was earned. You had to prove yourself on the battlefield. You had to prove yourself as a soldier to be named a centurion. The Romans didn't get everything right, but they understood at this level in their army, this was not the place 
to put guys who just had grown up with a wealthy family and so their daddy had paid for a good position in the army and so they made him centurion. No, these were the real deal guys who knew what they were doing. You didn't mess with the centurions. And this is Cornelius. He's a centurion. But verse 2 of the chapter tells us something that really is unexpected coming from a Roman centurion. Because it tells us he was a devout man that feared God with all of his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He's a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. And yet he's following the Jewish religion. So he's praying regularly. He's giving alms to the poor. This was a big part of of what the Jews did during this time to show their devotion to God. I mean, for the Bible to call somebody a devout man, that's a pretty, pretty powerful word to use about this man. But while he was a devout man, he was not a Christ follower. He didn't know Jesus. So he's following a religion, the Jewish religion. He believes in Jehovah, but he's not saved. Not yet. He'll get there. God's at work in his life. Aren't you thankful that God didn't leave you where he found you, right? That he, he, he brought you along. And God does a work here of bringing Cornelius along as he's bringing him to Christ. But Cornelius is clearly a man who is seeking God. I'm so thankful that God says, if, if you'll seek him, you'll find him. Those who seek after the Lord will find Him. And, and in fact, as we look in chapter 10 here, we'll see how God has people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation who will trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Cornelius was one of these people. So we first in chapter 10 are introduced to Cornelius. And as we learn a little about him, that he was praying regularly, one time, one day during his prayer, God came to him in a vision. That must have been quite an experience. As God came to Cornelius and he said, I want you to send three of your men to Joppa. Now, your geography may be about like mine, that you have no idea where Caesarea and Joppa are. So let me help you out. Caesarea and Joppa are about 30 miles apart. Two towns there. You've got the Roman centurion, he's in charge of a hundred soldiers, probably running some kind of garrison or guard there in Caesarea. And he hears about this man 30 miles away by the name of Simon Peter. Now we already know Simon Peter. This is the same Simon Peter that walked with Jesus, that yes, denied Christ, that chopped the ear of the high priest's servants off in the, in the Garden of Eden. That's the Simon Peter we're talking about. But this is also the Simon Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and 3,000 people got saved. Simon Peter, he's grown a lot. He's changed a lot. He's not a static character in the story of Scripture. Simon Peter is a dynamic character that has incredible change and growth. And God can and will do His work in and through you if you'll submit yourself to His will because God has a plan for your life just like He had a plan for Simon Peter's life. And so Cornelius has this vision. Send three men to Simon Peter. He's in Joppa and he's at the house of a man by the name of Simon who worked as a tanner. Now, clearly to me, God was already at work in Simon Peter's life to bring him to this Gentile. And this will mean maybe more to some of you than to others. But the very fact to me that Simon Peter was staying at Simon the tanner's house said that God was already at work on Simon Peter about some of the Jewish religious system. Because a tanner, this was a tanner of hides, he dealt with dead animals all day. And a Jewish person, a follower of the Old Testament practices, couldn't be around dead animals. He would be unclean. So it's interesting to me, God was clearly already at work. Simon the Tanner, he'd been saved there in Joppa. Remember, James preached to us a couple weeks ago about those two different people, Tabitha. What was the other guy's name? Lydus? Or no, he was in Lydda. Aeneas. Aeneas, that had been saved and, and Tabitha died and she rose, you know, Peter brought her back to life and all these things. So Peter's traveling around. He's encouraging these new believers. Remember, a lot of them were scattered there because of Paul's persecution of the believers in Jerusalem. Paul has been saved by now. 
that Peter's seen Paul, Saul brought into the church. There's a lot that has taken place. And so Cornelius sees this vision that he's supposed to send for Simon Peter. And so he sent the men to Joppa to go find Peter. But the same time that all this was happening, the next day then, Peter, the Bible tells us it was the middle of the day, and he went up on the rooftop to pray. It's a flat roof like they have in that part of the world. I was looking at some pictures of that. They would often have the staircase on the side of the house, outside of the house, and they'd walk up. And on those roofs, it would be cool. You could catch a breeze. It's midday. Jews were known for praying morning, noon, and night. Remember Daniel? Prayed morning, noon, and night. Peter, it's noontime. It's lunchtime. And he's on the roof. And the Bible is careful to tell us that he's very hungry. So I know I'm working against that this morning. He's very hungry. But I'm thankful God can even speak to people that are hungry. He spoke to Peter that day. And Peter's up on the rooftop. The Bible tells us they were preparing food for him to eat lunch. So I'm sure he can smell all this food as it's being cooked. It's being prepared. Peter's praying. He's talking to God. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us he, he falls into a trance. He gets a vision from God. And he sees in his vision this white sheet, this big white blanket being let down from heaven by the four corners. When I, when I see this, I always think of like um, when I was little and watched Dumbo for the first time, you know, and here came the stork carrying the, you know, the little baby elephant around in, his, in that little white blanket. But this was a big blanket. This wasn't a little thing being carried by a stork. This was a huge white sheet, and the Bible tells us it was full of all different kinds of animals, four-footed animals, birds, creeping things. You had snakes. You had all kinds of stuff in here. And as he sees this vision of these animals coming down in this blanket, he hears this voice from God that says, Rise, kill, and eat. Well, Peter, he, he's a follower of the Jewish dietary system. He says, Well, I can't eat this. It's unclean. I can't eat these things. Peter always was quick with his response. He said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake to him again the second time. I'm in verse 15, if you're following along. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this happened three different times. And then the sheep with all the animals in his trance, it was taken back up in his vision. He saw it taken back up to heaven. And then the Bible tells us that Peter doubted in himself. What's going on? I probably would doubt in myself. If you think about this, maybe Peter's thinking, I'm really hungry. Maybe my hunger pains are giving me weird thoughts and visions. What is going on here? I'm up on the rooftop having a conversation. God's telling me to eat things that are unclean. Why would God do that? He's not understanding. But while all this happened, all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. The men from Caesarea that had been sent by Cornelius had made it to Simon the Tanner's house. And they asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodging there. And, and so while Peter was thinking on his vision, somebody came to him. He hears the guys, the Spirit then, the Bible says, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek thee. I think it's interesting. This isn't the point of the message, but God showed him the vision three different times. Then it's three men seeking him. He hears this from the Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit says to him, Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. It's hard to even jump over that. I just Every time I see the word arise in the Bible, I get excited about it. That's why our church is named that. God didn't save us to sit around and, and do nothing and complain. He tells us to get up, arise. He says, don't doubt anything, don't doubting nothing, for I have sent them. 
had God given Peter all the information? Nope. But did God give Peter all the information that he needed at that moment? Yes, he did. You see, when God guides, when God directs, God doesn't always tell us everything up front. He tells us enough to take the next step. But we often stand in fear of taking the next step because we're not sure what the step after that's going to look like. What's up? What am I supposed to say to these people? Who are these people? They're Gentiles. I'm having this vision of all these animals that are unclean. And there's a lot going on in his head. But do you see what God is doing here? God's taking Cornelius, this Roman centurion who is as opposite of Peter, really, as he could be. God is leading and guiding and directing Cornelius, bringing him towards Peter, while at the same time, he's leading and guiding Peter, step by step, towards Cornelius. And he's doing this for the purpose of carrying the gospel forward. And an even bigger purpose, which I'm sure at that moment, Peter couldn't see all this, but we can see it now looking back at Scripture. An even bigger purpose, because remember in Acts 1.8, he said that the gospel was going to go out to the uttermost part of the earth. It's been to Jerusalem. It's been to Judea and Samaria. God was doing His work here to confirm, to give confirmation that the gospel was to go out even to the Gentiles. It wasn't just for the Jews. Now, there had already been a few Gentiles who'd come to Christ. We know that, the Ethiopian eunuch, for example. But there was not maybe a, a clear confirmation. Some people, actually, some Bible scholars, refer to these events in Acts chapter 10 as the Gentile Pentecost. At the Jewish Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when all these Jews came to Christ, now it's the Gentile Pentecost. The messenger was the same, Peter. The message was similar. It lifts up the name of Jesus Christ. Now in Acts chapter 2, he goes and he works through the Old Testament and the, the prophets and all of the things because he was speaking to the Jewish audience. Here in Acts chapter 10, he's speaking to a Gentile audience. So he doesn't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. He just spends time telling them who Jesus was and what he did. But in both cases, the result was the same. People trusted in Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost came with power. And as we're looking at this story this morning, I want you to grab onto this idea and try to understand with me, what are the marks of a Spirit-filled place? Why did the Holy Spirit come in Acts 2? Why did He come in Acts 10? And are there some things that we can learn from this passage of Scripture this morning that could help us to be Spirit-filled people dwelling in a spirit-filled place where we can see God continue to work. Peter doesn't know everything, but he knows enough to take the next step. But can you imagine if God had come to Peter and he said, all right, Peter, there's, there's this Roman centurion. You need to go meet with them and tell them about Jesus. He's going to get saved and then he's going to receive the Holy Spirit. Peter might say, whoa, 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 God, I, I, don't, I don't know about all that. But God was doing it little by little. He first dealt with Peter's issue about his diet. Because you know what happened when Peter ended up going with Cornelius? He ended up eating with them. He ended up spending time. He even went and stayed in their house. You know, God does things in your life to change you, to grow you, to help you to become the person that He's making you into. But sometimes the way He's changing you little by little, you say, oh, God, what are you even doing right now? Uh, why are you leading? Why did you allow this situation? Why did you put me over here? God, this doesn't make any sense. It's because you can't see what God is doing. It requires faith in the step by step to be able to experience God's plan in the future. This is what God was doing with Peter and with Cornelius. Peter obeys, though, and he goes with Cornelius' men. He goes back and he preaches to Cornelius and his family and friends, and a whole bunch of people get saved. And then the Holy Ghost comes. Well, how did this all happen? 
Was the Holy Spirit under Peter's control that Peter could say, all right, Holy Ghost, come now, fall? Nope. Because Peter's not God. God is God. The Holy Spirit is free to come and to go whenever and however He pleases. He is not bound to make your program work. He's not bound to fix your plan. He's not constrained to do what we think He should do or when we think He should do it. All right, Holy Ghost, you've got to come now. No, that's not how He works. He's God and He's free. I want to read to you a few different verses from some other passages of Scripture. First one's found in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. It says this, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. Now, there was an issue in the church and there still is today where people, I want this gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't want that gift. No, God gives gifts to who He wants to give gifts to. Everyone has a gift, but some have more than others and, and, and that's all up to the Lord. It's not to be jealous about. It's not to show off with. It's just to be used as God gives it to us. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as He will. He gives to you what He wants you to have, and He gives to you what He wants you to have, and He gives to you what He wants you to have. Jesus even described it in John chapter 3 in verse 8. He said, The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. When the Spirit carries you along, you're following the Spirit's leading. You're not leading the Spirit. You've got to understand the proper order in this. Peter was not leading the Spirit of God. Peter was being carried along by the Spirit of God to do the will of God. You cannot make the Holy Spirit come any more than you can rule the wind. He is free. I mean, think about it. Even here in Acts chapter 10, in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying this, while he was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Sometimes they think, well... That preacher, he's so good at getting the Spirit to come. He just gets everybody built up little by little and he's really going to bring the Spirit. That's not how it works. Or he's going to get to this big moment when he's shouting and hollering and jumping around and then he's going to give the invitation and the Spirit's going to fall. That's not the Spirit. At least not the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of emotional manipulation that goes on. Doesn't mean we shouldn't get excited, can't be passionate, but... We can't confuse that with the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine Peter's preaching and the Holy Spirit interrupted his message? Well, that'd probably be a good thing. But, but he interrupts him and he sends the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's free. So I'm not talking about some sort of formula that, all right, we do this, then this, then this, and the Spirit comes. No, no. I just want us to look at the marks of a Spirit-filled place, the kind of place, the kind of people that God works in and through with His Spirit. And I think we can learn that from this passage here this morning. Is there a correlation here between what Peter did or the way Peter preached and the coming of the Holy Spirit? Not in the sense that Peter was in control of the Holy Spirit, but I do think there's a correlation, and this is what I mean. I think the clue is in realizing what the mission of the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 14. He, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So the Spirit is sent to make Christ real to people and to show us who he really is in his glory so that we come to love Him and trust Him and obey Him and show Him to the world. One author put it this way, the Holy Spirit is more likely to come in power 
where the truth about Jesus is being lifted up and made plain. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit is more likely to come in power where the truth about Jesus is being lifted up and made plain. If you want the Spirit's power in your life, then you must make Jesus the center of your life. And people are like, well, I'll take the Spirit today, but not tomorrow. No, make Jesus the center of your life. Walk in the Spirit. That's a daily thing. And then you may experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So I want to invite you to listen this morning and look down with me now to verse number 33. This is where we're going to start to dig into the text. Acts chapter 10, verse 33. Because that was all introduction. And to get through all of that, to help you understand where we're starting from. But I think this verse, this is Cornelius speaking here, really ought to speak to the attitude that we should have when we come to church or when we open God's Word, when we come prepared to hear from the Lord. I underlined this verse in my Bible. You may want to underline it. If you underline your Bible, this would be a good one to underline. Cornelius said, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. He's talking to Peter. Notice the verse. Now therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? That's quite a statement. Cornelius was a man, a soldier, a centurion. He was a man under authority, and he was a man who had authority. He understood about receiving and obeying a command, and he also understood about giving commands and people doing what he told them to do. He was in the military. When he looks at Peter, he says, we're here and we're present before God. Can you say that about yourself this morning? You may not have come in here this morning, and that, that may not have been true about you when you walked in this morning. You may have had a million other things on your mind. Your phone might be buzzing in your pocket. Maybe you're starting to feel the hunger pains. Say, Pastor, quit talking about it, and it won't be such a big deal. Yeah, the men are like, I got my beef jerky. Yeah. You start throwing this stuff out here. No, I'm not going to do that. Oh, this is mine. This is mine. No, I'm just kidding. But couldn't we really, ought we be able to say this about ourselves in the morning when we get up? As the song says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Are we present with Him? Are you present with Him today? Before we go any further this morning, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. And ask you to go to the Lord in prayer in your own heart. Romans 12, 1, Paul said, present your body a living sacrifice. I feel like this message is very important for our church. I want to ask you to present yourself to the Lord this morning. Say, God, I'm present before you. Quiet my heart. Take the distractions out of my mind. I got a lot, lot going on, got things to get to. And let's just be present before God for a few minutes and hear all the things that He has for us. Lord, help us now as we look at Your Word together. Speak to our hearts, I pray. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that has sin in their life, I pray that they would confess that to You this morning. Lord, You know my heart. It is my desire to walk with you and follow you. Lord, this service is not for my glory. It's not for the glory of this group of people. It's for yours and yours alone. Speak to us, Lord. Lord, we come to you now. My desire to lead us into your presence this morning.
But Lord, I believe each one in their own heart needs to come before you and be ready to receive what you have for us today. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we're going to be a place and a people where the Spirit moves, we must come before Him with the right attitude, with the right demeanor, humble before Him, present before the Lord to hear what God has from us. And I want to encourage you, this isn't something that should only happen on a Sunday morning. It ought to, and it can, be part of your life every day. Every day. The reality is, it may not be where we're at every day, but you can be. Confess it and come back to Him. May we be as Cornelius and his family were all present before God to hear all things that are commanded of God. Verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth. Think about it. God had shown a few things to Peter. He'd seen the sheep. He'd seen the animals. He heard God said, Rise, kill and eat. He said, No, Lord. God says, what I've said is clean. Don't call it unclean and uncommon. He says, go with these men. He gets there. Cornelius says, we're ready to hear from God. What would your answer be? Like when your mouth opens, what comes out? I think it's interesting. I don't think I'm stretching the text here to say that God hadn't said, all right, Peter, here's point number one. Here's point number two. I think if we're going to be a people in the Spirit's leading and Spirit's power, we're going to be a Spirit-filled people in place. We have to have the right attitude before God. And then I think what our message is that comes out when our mouth opens, we have to realize it has tremendous power and impact. At least it can. If we'll share the message of Jesus Christ. We get so full of so many things in our life, we don't live present before God as we should. And so for many of you, when your mouth opens, Jesus is not what comes out. And that's why you don't experience the leading of the Spirit in your life and the filling and power that I believe you could be experiencing doesn't mean that you don't have conversations about work. It doesn't mean that you don't have conversations about your finances. It doesn't mean that you don't enjoy doing some fun things with your friends. But when people see you, when they hear from you, do they see Jesus? Do they hear Jesus? Or do they just hear all the other garbage that you're filling your mind and your life with all the time? My friend, I think God wants to have a special relationship with us. I know it so much that he, he loves us so much He sent Jesus to die for our sin. Yes, you can go to work and you can still be a light for Jesus. You can live at home with the struggle of life and people and still be a light for the Lord. But it requires being present and ready to hear from Him. So what was this message? When He opened His mouth, He said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Oh, our society today is constantly trying to come up with things to divide people over this group or that group or this person or that person or this way or that way. And I'm, it'd be, I could do it this morning. I could start talking about something. I'd have people over here, yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. And then there'd be a people over here, don't like this. Why? Because we live in a society that loves to divide. The devil loves to divide people. Christ brings people together, but it must be brought together around Him. Right? Because we've got people that will come together over all kinds of things, but they come together and what happens? Then they split up again. And you know, many churches look pretty much the same as the world. 
We're kind of known for splitting, right? And dividing. Why? Because we let the world's thinking and the world ways and, and the selfishness and pride and everything else get in our way. And pretty soon we're split up and we're divided. God is not a respecter of persons. We had, even this past week, right, our, our federal government said, we're going to have a new federal holiday. We're going to celebrate Juneteenth. Great. Somebody said, well, we're going to find something to fight about that. Why? Why? God's not a respecter of person. He's not a respecter of person. We need to make it less about our preferences and our fights that really don't have much consequence and more about Him. More about Him. Sin is the reason for all of this struggle. This past week, there was a big convention in Nashville. All of the, the Southern Baptist Convention convened. And all I saw this week in my, on my news feed, my Twitter, was all the people arguing about all the different sides. And this is not to cast stones at them because everybody does it. And it's sad. And it's sin. And the reason they're fighting is because you have people pulling away from the Lord and trying to do their own things. Some of the ones trying to fight are trying to find for, fight for truth and righteousness. I understand that. We need to stand for truth. We need to stand for righteousness. But as we stand, we need to be standing to point people to Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that, hey, well, just let everybody do whatever they're going to do. No. Point people to Jesus. That's the answer. He is the answer. I mean, if anybody was dealing with issues of the respect of persons, it would have been Peter and Cornelius, a Roman soldier. The Romans were the occupiers. They were the invading force. They were the oppressors of the Jews. And they were Gentiles. And they were not nice. They were pagans. Now, Cornelius, he's a, he's a devout man. Peter's going into his house. What are all the other people going to think? Well, we know Peter did have a concern about that because he brought, I think, at least six other people with him to go to Cornelius' his house. And then later, the, the Christians back in Jerusalem kind of had a big issue. Like, what's Peter doing down there at Cornelius' house? I heard that he was hanging out with those Gentiles. He probably ate some bacon or something, you know, and this is a problem. It's hard. I get it. Why? Because we have cultural differences. There are experiential differences. You have family differences. You have financial differences. You have educational differences. There's so many things that are different about people. And some of that's okay, right? In fact, pretty much all of that I just name is just fine. You look different on the outside. That's fine. I sure am glad I'm not looking in the mirror this morning at myself. I get to do that enough at home. You look different than me. That's fine. You drove a different car this morning. We had people that walked here this morning. People that rode the bus this morning. People came in nice cars. People that hoped their car would start this morning. Right? We have all the various things. Some of you had a comfortable house this week. I know at least one family had no AC this week, right? We all live different things. I went and celebrated my anniversary this week. Maybe you had a terrible week this week. We all had different weeks, right? What's the answer? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Look at verse number 36. I told you when we got to the points, we're going to move fast. So here we are. It's 1140. And we're going to fly through these eight points. I hope you got your pen ready. Every one of these points we could do a whole sermon series on. Really, this is a... Peter here lays out for all of you theologians and Bible students, he lays out a wonderful outline of Christology throughout Scripture of who Christ is and what He does. And every single one of these points, all eight of them that Peter makes, we could go on into other passages of Scripture and look at how Christ is all of these things. I'm going to bring in a few of those passages, but... 
Suffice it this morning, we're relying on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and Peter's very brief message that he preached to help us to see all eight of these characteristics of Jesus Christ. And I believe if we'll have the right attitude, if we'll have the right presence before the Lord, if we'll make sure our heart is right, if we lift up Christ, the same Christ that Peter lifted up, then we can be a place that is a Spirit-filled place. We can be people that are prepared to receive the Spirit of God when and however He chooses to work. Number one, Jesus is the bringer of peace. Peter pointed out to Cornelius, his friends and his family, that Jesus is the bringer of peace. Look at verse 36. He says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. God took the word, Jesus Christ is the word in human flesh, and he gave it to the children of Israel. But what did he want? He was saying, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming, there's no peace in anything else than through Jesus. My friend, this morning, you can't find peace in anything else but Jesus. There's not peace in a political party. There's not peace in a big paycheck. There's not peace in another anniversary. My wife and I have still had disagreements, even 16 years. Maybe by 17, we won't have any more disagreements. Maybe, maybe. No, that's not the source of peace. But you know what? The more each of us walk with Jesus, the more we find peace even in our relationship. Well, if I can just, I got a letter this week in the mail from our favorite folks at the IRS. Hey, if you want to receive your child tax credit early, you know, we'll send it to you. I'm like, well, if I get it early, then I get to pay it back to you next year. You know, I, I don't know how that really helps me. If I get a few more dollars in my account over the summer, that's not going to bring peace. Only Christ brings peace. Jesus is the bringer of of peace. Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 10, verse 12. He said, There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Peter's message to Cornelius begins and ends with the peace that comes from God by knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Peace with God comes through Christ Jesus. Young people, teenagers, old people, and everybody in between. Peace is found in Jesus Christ. They don't chase after everything else that says, oh, this will bring you happiness. This will bring you fulfillment. You could sit down with some of the people in our church and say, let me tell you, that doesn't bring happiness. Chasing relationships with other people won't bring you happiness. Chasing a feeling won't bring you happiness. Just more frustration. Turn on the TV. Every commercial that you watch just about is saying, if you buy this or if you do this, you'll get this feeling and it'll be good. Until it burns out, runs out, till it quits, till it stops, till you have to buy another one, right? And then another one, then another one. Well, come and you can get this pill and that'll make you happy until you need another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. These things don't bring peace. Jesus brings peace. Number two, we also see this at the end of verse 36. He just mentions it in one little phrase. Jesus is the Lord of all. You see it there at the end of verse 36. In my Bible, it's He is Lord of all. Of all. Not just, stay with me on this, he's not just Lord of the people that call him Lord. Some people say, well, you can believe in your God, I'll believe in mine. No, he's Lord over those people too. In fact, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that there's coming the day that every knee shall bow. And Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When He came the first time, He came to be Lord in your heart. He wanted you to see and understand the gospel that Jesus saves because He died for your sin. But when He comes back a second time, 
The Bible refers to it over in the book of Revelation, of course, in chapter 17 and 19, two different places. Let me read them to you. He says in verse chapter 17, verse 14, These shall make war with the Lamb. They'll make war with Jesus. And the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. He's Lord of lords. He's King of kings. In fact, over in chapter 19 and verse 16, it says, And He hath on His vesture and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's a king. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of lords. Jesus is the Lord of all. He's not just the Lord of the Jews. He's not just the Lord of the Christians. He's Lord of all. He's not just some great teacher that existed at a different time in a different place for a particular group of people. No, He's Lord of all. He is fully God. But then Peter's going to point out that He's also fully man. He's fully God. He's also fully man. Number three, Jesus is a man anointed with the Spirit and power. He's been anointed. He's been given God's Spirit and God's power. Look at the next verse, verse number 38. Actually, let's jump down one verse. Because verse 37 is just setting up verse 38. He says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. It's interesting he calls him Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus had a hometown. Jesus had a place where he was from. Jesus had a house. Jesus had a family. Jesus even had brothers and sisters. Because Jesus, while yes, he's fully God, he was also fully man. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Why? Because even as he was fully man, he walked with his father his heavenly Father. He had the anointing of the Spirit and of power on Him. I think that ought to encourage some of you. Because you're not God. But as a human being, this verse tells me that I too can experience the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit on me as a person too. Now I won't be... As perfect like Jesus was. But that's what I'm striving for. We can experience the same Spirit's power on us that Jesus experienced on Him. Now the Spirit may not work in you the same exact way. In you. The Spirit's free to do what He does. But it's the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit. He's anointed with the Spirit and power. I would tell you this, as a man, Jesus had to rely upon the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Remember when he was in the wilderness and he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil came and he tempted him three different times? Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He was physically weak. As you read that story, he didn't rise up in his deity and fight off the devil. No. He quoted the Word of God. And God took His Word with the Spirit's power. Eventually, the Bible says the devil fled from Him. And then the angels came and ministered to Jesus, to His physical needs. Right? Jesus is God, but He's also fully man. He was a man that was anointed with the Spirit and power. Number four, Jesus is a man stronger than sin and Satan. Again, back in verse 38, he says, Who went about, Jesus went about doing good. Not just in his power, but in the power of the Spirit that was upon him. And he did good and healed all that were oppressed of the devil. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The Holy Ghost in you is greater than the devil, the prince of the power of this air. He doesn't like you following the Lord. Satan does not like it when people share the gospel. I Last night, this morning, I woke up and I just, I felt almost sick to my stomach about this 
this morning, I thought, oh, Lord, I'm not strong enough to preach this. Lord, I don't know how to say these things. Lord, this is, we have to fight a spiritual warfare, spiritual battle against the devil. Lord, this is not, we, we can't do that. We can't do it in our own strength. And without the Lord's help, there are times when I come to pastors like this, I just like to skip over that. Let somebody else talk about the devil. I just want to talk about the nice things. Why? So I don't want to have to fight. That doesn't sound like any fun. But you know, I, I, I love to read history. And you read those stories of those who came back from the battles and the wars, those who did fight and did win. They sure were excited to be able to share those stories with their, the people back home. I wish you could have been there seeing how it all came together. God hasn't called us as Christians just to relish the fight. There are some people like that. I get it. Some of you are here this morning. I just like to fight. Okay. I don't. But you fighting are not strong enough to win in your own strength. And the person who's afraid to fight, they're going to fail too. We win the fight in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was greater than sin and Satan. Notice the end of verse 38. It says, for God was with him. God was with Jesus. This isn't some impersonal power, this far off thing. You don't have to order it online and wait two or three days for it to come in the mail. You don't have to be worried that the FedEx guy is going to show up late after the door is locked and closed. They show up here sometimes at 9 o'clock at night, put a tag on the door and say, the business was closed. Of course, I go home at time. I'm so thankful that God's power doesn't come on FedEx. You had your AC out this week. You said, well, I'm sure, sure glad that God's power is more reliable than the air conditioning. Haven't you seen news? Oh, ERCOT, raise your thermostat up. We're going to lose power. Never mind. But we don't have to lose the Holy Spirit's power. Why? Because why was Jesus able to? Because God was with him. God is with you. If you will walk with God, He will be with you. When you call upon Him, He will answer. He'll hear you. When you confess your sin, if you'll confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you. Our struggle often goes back, just back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. We walk around kind of wanting to be our own little gods. I'm in charge. I can do this. I'm tough. Stop. Stop it. Right? Walk with the Lord. Trust in Him. Stop ignoring Him and going your own way. Why was Jesus able to? Well, He's Jesus. No, it's because God was with Him. And God will be with you too if you'll walk with Him. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Number five, Jesus is a man who was crucified for your sin. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Now, I have no idea, but he says, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. We know there were Roman soldiers there that day. I don't know that Cornelius was, but. As a Roman centurion, perhaps he had participated or been around. Crucifixion, other difficult things, horrible things. So if Jesus had all power, if he had the Holy Spirit upon him, then why did Jesus die? Well, because that was part of God's plan. Do you remember what Jesus said in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? As he spoke to God, he said, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me but not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was willing to die, to go to the cross, even though he had all power, even though he had all ability, as the song says, he could have called 10,000 of angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but 
He died alone for you and for me. Why? Why did God turn his back on his son? Because it was part of God's plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was crucified for your sin. Number six, Jesus is alive from the dead and was raised by God. Look at verse 40. Him, God, raised up and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead. Wouldn't that have been amazing? He's pointing here to the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know that's important, by the way? That Jesus didn't just resurrect in His spirit. He had a glorified body too. You say, well, how do you see that from this passage? Well, it says they saw Him. They were eyewitnesses. And it says they ate and drank with Him. You don't eat and drink with a ghost. Well, maybe you, the ghost doesn't eat and drink, right? He had a digestive tract. He, he was able to consume food and beverage. Why, you say, why do you make this point? Well, because the hope of our resurrection, my resurrection, your resurrection, is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe we too will have a bodily, physical resurrection. We'll get a new body without the aches and pains. You won't have to get up and limp to the bathroom anymore. You'll be able to get up and run and walk and jump and leap because you have all the strength. You'll be able to see, be able to hear. And all the wives said, Amen. No, I'm just, <laughs> they'll be able to hear me better. Yeah. He'll look like we did when we got married. Yeah, I, I don't know. I asked Shandy that this week. I said, I look a little bit different than when we got married. She she kind of looks the same. And uh, I told her, I said, I think she's even more beautiful now. Than... I said, the difference between me at 22 and 38, it's not a difference. It's not always positive. I don't know at what age you get to the top and start heading down the other side. It's different for different people in different ways, right? 19 years old, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it feels like sometimes, right? Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. I'm so thankful that Jesus rose again. He's alive and he was raised by God. And we have hope in that too. I'm almost done. Number seven, Jesus is the final judge of all people. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. That's the living and the dead. He's the judge of all people. Jesus is the final judge of every person in the universe, whether they are dead or alive. There's no respect of persons with God. Well, I'm going to be able to pay things off. I'm going to be able to get to the front of the line. No, there's no respect of persons. You'll stand before God just like I'll stand before God, just like every person who's ever lived or ever died will stand before the Lord. And the decision you make about Jesus now will determine how He judges you when you stand before Him then. You'll either be condemned justly because of your sin. The wages of sin is And if you face that judgment, you will be sent to an everlasting torment in hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you'll trust in Him, His judgment of you is not based on your righteousness because it's just filthy rags. It's based upon His precious blood without blemish, like a lamb, without blemish and without spot, that when He covers your sin, it is gone. It's forgotten. He puts it as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers it no more. Jesus is the final judge of all people. So what's the difference? 
It's not based on being a Jew or a Greek. It's not based on being rich or poor. It isn't based on being from a particular country or having a particular skin color. Peter points out the difference in our last point this morning. Jesus is the source of God's forgiveness for our sins. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. He saved us. He's forgiven us. Verse 43, To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name, here it is, Whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. What a great message to that Gentile audience that day as Peter, this Jew, this one who had God's covenant, who was part of God's chosen people, is now looking at this Roman centurion and all of his family, this Gentile, this Roman soldier, and says to him, if you'll believe in Jesus, he'll forgive you of your sin. That's good news. That's the gospel. God's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's not a respecter of persons. You can't earn extra credit with God. And you can't fail out of His class unless you reject His forgiveness. Whosoever, that's good news. And in the middle of all this preaching, the Holy Spirit fell. You can go over into chapter 11 and it tells us, it clarifies... Cornelius and all of his family and friends, they believed in Jesus. And God sent the Holy Spirit. And then Peter looked around and he said, Hey, these guys received the Spirit. What's to stop us from baptizing them? Bring some water. Let's baptize. I get excited thinking about God maybe doing some of those things here. You ever think about that? Maybe someday... And they say, I, I just need to be saved. Maybe it's today. Lord, I now understand what Jesus did for me. I need to be saved. Take us a little while to get some water together, but we could do it. Baptism didn't save them. But it's what they wanted to do as a, to signify that they were walking with Jesus and identifying with Him. What a great day that was. In fact, it tells us that the other people that were with Peter, these other Jewish believers that came with him, they were astonished. They couldn't believe it, that the Holy Spirit came to these Gentiles. I believe if we will be Spirit-filled people dwelling in a Spirit-filled place, we'll look around and we'll say, I can't believe God did that. I can't believe God would save that person. I don't know how God could ever change them. I'm looking forward to one day being able to go back and see some of the pictures and videos and go, wait a minute, I had forgotten how far God brought them. I've already been able to do that in four years. Oh, man. They're still a mess, but boy, you should have seen them when they came. As Paul wrote to the church there, he said, and such were some of you. May we never get over what God has saved us from. And may we live for Him every day. The marks of a spirit-filled place. It's a place that's ready to receive God, God's Word. That's present before Him. Puts away the other distractions. And focuses on Him. It's a place that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ. That shares the gospel. Understanding God's not a respected person. Anyone, whosoever will believe in Him. Believe in Him as the one who can forgive you of your sin. Believe in Him as the one who died for your sin. Believe in Him as the one who rose again. Believe in Him as the one who is Lord of all. Believe in Him as the one that is not a respecter of persons.
Have you believed in Him this morning? In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to invite you to come. And I'm, I have my Bible here. I've got a couple other people with their Bibles. And if we can take a Bible and show you how you can believe in Jesus today and know Him and know the peace of God this morning, if you want that, I want to invite you to come. Maybe you're here this morning and you do know that. You do know Jesus Christ. You have believed in Him. But you want to be a person who says, I want to be somebody that is a Spirit-filled person, being led by the Spirit of God, being used by the Spirit of God. I want to be a Spirit-filled place that God can use to do His work. I'm going to invite you to come too and just pray. Would you do that? Let's pray right now just together, and then I'm going to ask you to stand. The piano is going to play, and then you come. Lord, we love you. Help us now. We're before you. We need your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. You stand to your feet and come as the Lord leads.